Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Charles Davies III, and we're starting to get the impression that people are listening to us for news purposes, and frankly, that is a lot of pressure. So we have special guest and real journalist, Paul Tenario from The Athletic, joining us so we can offer all of you listeners a very credible voice in this space. But before we bring him on and talk some shop about his recent interactions with U.S. Men's National Team Interim Coach Anthony Hudson and MLS Commissioner Don Garber, what is the top thing you did this weekend? Heath, you go first. What? I thought you were going to say he dropped the news. <laughs> oh yeah, no, we moved on from that. Charlie, stop doing that, man. Come on, man. This is why you. This is why you know, like You're what's ruining wrong with everything. You? Yeah, my uh, I I had uh, my 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 top uh, breaking news coming out of the weekend was that my uh, four year old turned five and and we got to have uh, her birthday party, which was amazing. Um, that was uh, that was nice. breaking news for everybody. Awesome, yeah. that's yeah. great. That's great. Tim Howard's birthday today as well. Happy birthday to Timmy. Uh, Chuck, what was your top thing this weekend? Outside of waiting for Heath to break the news about Giorena. I got to call uh, my first home game of the season for the Whoa. Reds. So that was, that was cool to get back in the booth with my my guy, Brad Feldman, and the Revs put in put in some work, 2-0. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a good weekend. Hey, hey, Charlie, what about the guy, uh, uh, Barrero? Oh, my gosh. Dylan he Barrero? Had, yeah, he had he had them on skates. Oof. On the, the I, I, it's been a while since I've seen. I don't remember who was on 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 it the Griffin Dorsey, um, of the Houston Dynamo outside back. Yeah. He was, yeah. He kind of did what uh, Lissandro Martinez did for Man United. Uh, the, yeah, the same, just, same yeah. type of inside outside. Don't know where to go. I'm, it, I, I'm dizzy. I just that ex, that like first like explosive like three four steps of his are just so fast. Um, I was pretty. I was really impressed. Okay, yeah, it was it was a, it was a it was a good showing. Yeah. I just want to say that this weekend I spent, I had Pokemon cards. cards. No, no, they're not Pokemons. They're from Tops. Oh. Shout out to Heath and for soccer for hooking me up with Tops. But, but I was put them on my ceiling, and at two thirty because it's gonna look really sick in here, and it was gonna really add to the studio. And and they all like big giant noise at two thirty a.m. last <laughs> night. 
and I didn't know what it was. And it was all my cards falling off the ceiling after the hours I put in to make that happen. You so know, it's crazy that Jimmy was calling me. That? It's just crazy that Jimmy was calling me just this like brand shill. And then he's doing free plugs on the next show <laughs> just for a brand that we paid him to do some content for. It's just Jimmy's out here just on his own plan wow. right now. How, how big is that, Jimmy? It's at one piece. Well, it it was one sleeve of cards at a time, but I had taped them all together. I thought that, that um, you know, yeah, you know, more more would help with the power of the tape. I just didn't use strong enough tape. That's really the the issue here. I needed did to do it with, with duct tape, and I went with like scotch tape. Any scotch valuable tape cards? Really got some damage in there or no? What's that? Any valuable, Any valuable cards? Yeah, I got, got one. Any? Hold on. Hold, yeah, I got one. It's um. So he's looking. I think he's looking for. A Look, I got a Raphael layout. Okay. This one's worth a couple hundred bucks. Okay. Nice. Yeah, You're I think I'll probably give it away. Options? Possibly. Well, I don't know. Can it can it NFT stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from NFTs, man. Those things are crazy. All right, everybody. We got a special guest, and we're excited to have him on because the guy is a wealth of knowledge. He is, you know what? We should probably have a tale of tape. Wow! He works for the Athletic, though. He previously worked for the Washington Post and the Orlando Sentinel. He has his finger on the pulse. He's the pride of Northwestern University. It's There is no Bob? chance, no chance I live up to that intro. I'm sorry, guys, <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate it. What about the swaggiest hair in the game, too? Yeah, and the beard is all working. He's got it all working, Paul. We really appreciate that. Appreciate you coming on. So the big thing is you had a chance to mingle with Don Garbers and Anthony Hudson's of the world, and now there's some real smoke around and possible fire around Leo Messi coming to MLS. What do you got for us with regard to that? Because this is pretty significant news because I don't think you got you can just pay this guy a salary. I feel like you got to give him a whole bunch of other stuff to make him come. Yeah, I feel like I had Don Garber on skates for a second because <laughs> a few years ago, back in 2017, he he was joking with somebody like, oh, we'll never do a Beckham deal again. Like, that was crazy. You know, he got the, the $25 million expansion franchise at a time when Toronto was going for $10 million, But by the time he triggered it, the fees were up over $100 million. He's like, oh, we'll never do that again. And when I brought it up to him, he was like, well, you know, De Deputy Commissioner Mark Abbey used to tell me never say never. And I put my foot uh -huh. in my mouth a lot. And at that point, like the eyebrows go up, right? Because that's the first indication that, you know, the discussions with Messi are real enough to have these types of talks. How can we find the right way to compensate you to bring you to MLS? Because let's be honest, like salary wise, Insigne is the most we've ever seen in MLS. And that pretty much doubled what the highest was before with Ibrahimovic, with Kaká. And you're we're talking $14 million a year. That's not touching what Messi is going to come for. And so really, it's all about ownership percentage. I mean, I think that's the only way you can go. Maybe you do something creative around the stadium and what's being built around the stadium, and you get a chunk of that. But yeah, I mean, as Don Garber said, we're going to have to be creative to give Messi and his family the compensation they expect. And and. That to me was was huge news. Just just to have the commissioner essentially confirming that the discussions are there. How how? Uh, uh, go ahead, Heath. I, no, no, go ahead, go ahead, Charlie. Go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, how similar do you think this deal would have been had Cristiano Ronaldo ended up in Sporting Kansas City in terms of this compensation? Because I know Slatan Ibrahimovic wasn't coming here for no Tam deal either. He got <laughs> he got twenty five percent of my former club Hammerbeans in Stockholm, Sweden. So again. They're incentivizing players to come here and say, we might not give you the salary you 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 
would deserve on paper, but we are making up for that more than 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 that by giving you ownership. Yeah, I mean, it's it's for these biggest names now, the way the market has gone, transfer fees, salaries for the biggest stars, MLS teams are going to have to find ways to make it work with and, and there are only certain names that this has to happen for, right? Like Messi and Ronaldo are going to be treated differently in this generation of players than anyone else. Um, and yeah, I think if Sporting Kansas City was really going to happen, if they were going to actually go down that road, I would imagine that there would have been a similar structure here. And good, by the way, good for Sporting Kansas City to, to even put themselves in the mix, to have an owner willing to do it. And for these owners, I mean, it's no joke. If you're giving up, if you're a Jorge Mas and you're giving up 5% of your club or something like that, with the way valuations are going for MLS teams right now, like that's that can be serious, serious money. And, you know, I think right now with Inter-Miami, it, it doesn't feel like that much because, you know, they ranked dead last in attendance last year. They're playing in a temporary stadium in Fort Lauderdale. But they're going to build a brand new stadium outside of downtown Miami. They're going to put a lot of money into the development around it. And coming off of a weekend where we just saw another sold out crowd at another expansion city in St. Louis, like the valuation of that club is going up as we talk. And I think that's part of why there's an urgency with Messi to say like, hey, let's do this right now. Here's what it's going to look like. And that becomes very, very enticing. And, and I think for good reason, Messi and his camp is saying like, yeah, we should be doing some serious mess. And and by the way, it doesn't necessarily have to be Jorge Mas given 5%. Like if you're Messi's people, I think you open up the conversation and you say something like, okay, well, if you guys are going to do Las Vegas in a few years, we want 10% of that. Like I, I would be interested to see how deep that negotiation goes and whether Messi's even interested in owning the, a piece of the club where he's going to play or if he's looking down the road saying, you know, where's the best investment for my money where where do i want my salary tied to that's i mean it's it's interesting on the sporting kc side because that would meant that jimmy would probably have to give up some of his five percent uh, you know what i can't confirm or deny any rumors but, at this time but that's probably where the deal broke down but but you know <laughs> uh, for, for me it, it seems like if you're the club and you're looking to flip it right over time you would get that instant spike from a messy and equity and thing and he'd be looking at the short-term side of that but do you do you think that you know, we, t we talk a lot about jersey sales, and I remember way long ago, Nicholas and Elka goes to Turkey, and they're like, he sold his transfer fee in five minutes, you know, of, of, of jersey sales. But most of that goes to the manufacturer, right? There's not a huge upside. Are there other mechanisms that you could see playing out in this beyond, you know, future real estate deals or anything? Or, or do you think it's mostly has to be sort of creative based on the case of a future franchise and a window of time that they have to get it? Is there any other unique ways in which if you're the messy family or estate or family office that you're looking at ways to make money off this deal? I mean, I think you hit on it. That was the most interesting thing that got floated to me by some people who have worked on kind of big deals behind the scenes before was, you know, does Messi want just 5% of the team or does he look at the commercial real estate development around inner Miami stadium and say, Hey, I want 10% of that, you know, cause that's just going to keep making money and making money and making money as well. Um, I'm sure that they're investigating the business of all of it and trying to figure out what is the best place to put the money. And if you're messy too, you're signing a deal. Let's say, I mean, this is a, a really smart aspect of it from MLS's side. You want to make sure you keep messy playing for the maximum period of time. Well, if you're messy and you own 5% of a club, the longer you play there, the higher the valuation it is. I mean, you, the moment he joins inner Miami, the value of inner Miami goes up significantly. And the longer he plays there, the higher that value goes. And what was interesting too, in the interview with Don Garber is he, he kind of 
broke down the Beckham deal in a way that hadn't been broken down before and saying like they they created triggers in that contract that they felt were never going to get hit. The way Don Garber said it was like less than a 1% chance they felt that those triggers were all going to hit. It was a, a certain number of expansion teams coming into the league in a five-year period, David Beckham playing for the entirety of that five years, and I think one other trigger. And if all three of those things got hit, then you get the, the expansion rights at $25 million. And as we know, MLS entered this em- – enormous era of growth and they did add five expansion teams in five years and Beckham did stay throughout the entirety of his contract and boom he gets 25 million so or, or franchise rights for 25 million so I think there will be similar structures for Messi protections for the owners and and because MLS is single entity it's not just protecting Jorge Mas right you're protecting all of the MLS owners you're anytime you buy the expansion fee of a team you're buying a percentage of of soccer United and MLS a piece of the pie because everyone revenue shares, everyone's in the business together. So that's why whatever this happens with Messi, whatever way they structure this deal, it's going to have to be something the whole league votes on because they're going to want to protect their slice of the pie as well, while also recognizing that Messi landing in MLS changes the dynamics for deals all across the league. Yeah, and Jimmy, I, I had a follow-up to, to actually for this group real quick was just mostly on, I mean, what would you rather have? Don Garber, the commissioner recently came out and was talking about how it's easier to do a to be a new club than to 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 kind of modernize some of the old clubs. Obviously, Miami are still new, but where would anybody in this conversation see the upside? Wouldn't you rather it be putting your time and energy into something in the future and that new fan base from the start? Or do you think it's just purely attaching himself because it's Miami, it's a different market? I mean, and Paul, I guess I'll start with you, but I'm curious, Jimmy, for you and Charlie, where you would rather if you were in that position, a, a future franchise or or put your money into, or I guess your equity, sweat equity into something that already exists, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, what what will be interesting is, I think a balance between Messi has a house in Miami. Yeah, right. It's easy. So to does get Charlie. Home. So does Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's easy to get home. So do you <laughs> do you want a piece of the pie where you're gonna be, or do you look and say, okay, I want to attach myself to Vegas because I think it's got the biggest potential, but knowing that you know, as Don Garber said in this interview as well, you know, if if Vegas is gonna happen, you have to build a dome stadium. And so if you're taking a future franchise, you're taking on those startup costs, right? The capital calls are going to come if you're owning a percentage. Whereas with Miami, that stadium's already getting built. You you know, you coming in with with no cost and it's where you live. So I think for me, if I was messy, I I, I stay put in Miami and try to benefit on, on a market I know. Yeah. Hey, Jimmy, yeah. just let me give one more piece of context on this. Jesus. Sorry. Just, just, no, just no, take no, it over. No, just no, just no, call it the You guys just come, Charlie, come back. Let's bounce, hey, Charlie. We're out here. Come back in five minutes. For the context of people listening, the way the capital calls work generally within the ownership structure is every year you might have a capital call, right? We need to come up with this much money. It's not just I get 5% and that's what I hold forever. In order to have that 5%, you have to meet those capital calls. So the club comes and says, you owe us $3 million. You got to write that check every year. If you don't, somebody else does. You dilute the equity that you generally have within that. So it's not just for people that think, here's a gift. You get this forever. There is a dilution at play in order to keep that 5%. Yes, there is the opportunity to have a smaller a smaller slice of a bigger pie over time if you don't meet that capital. But just for people to know, it's not like somebody hands you something and forever it just keeps on going while somebody else has to keep writing checks. There's operational expenses that go with that. Just wanted well, to make Welcome to our like professor that. of finance, Heath. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, it's just, it gets confusing and people think that like you get it. And it's I just think I'm more forever, confused you know? now, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know how good of a teacher Heath Pierce is, but I agree I with Paul. I thought that was great. It was good. You're very yeah. good. You're very no, good. I'm what, so, so Paul, you talked about expansion, expansion fees. I know in this 
interview that you did or or this talk you had with with uh, Don Garber with the Athletic, you he had mentioned that expansion fees could go up to, to maybe even five hundred million, which is which is pretty incredible. And I know we can talk about which one's going to be next for that thirtieth team in MLS. And he said that expansion could be possible even further to thirty two and, and beyond. But what I find interesting is if the valuation goes up to five hundred million, right now in twenty twenty three, the base salary cap is set to be five point two million with an additional almost two in, in GAM and 2.7 million in targeted allocation money, the TAM. So you're around $10 million. And obviously you can pay your DPs whatever you want, but that doesn't really, the math doesn't add up. Like why wouldn't the player salaries and the salary cap go up if the valuations of these clubs are starting to be get to half a billion dollars? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the most interesting parts of MLS right now is like they want control, right? That's why the cap exists the way it does. That's why all of these buckets exist. Like they knew or they wanted to go and buy more young players to be able to develop them and sell them. Instead of just increasing the cap, they said, no, we're going to create the U22 initiative, right? And it, they've got to fit perfectly into this bucket to make it work. That's about control and controlling the spending efficiency from a league level. Definitely not efficiency from a team level. Right now, the way MLS is spent, the spending is set up, you are at a high risk level of spend. If you, one of your DPs is hurt, if you get one of them wrong, that money Rubbish. is out the window, right? Like it's not a great system for, for trying to maximize your dollar. And I think over time, as these owners come in who are spending $325 million on an expansion fee as David Tepper did, or $500 million if that's what the number is in San Diego, um, they're going to want more control over how they spend their dollar. And we're already seeing, or at least I'm hearing about these conversations happening behind the scenes and this kind of power struggle, a little bit of a power struggle. And again, these owners, they're in it together, so they're not really like fighting about it. But they are saying, okay, we, for the for the big teams, or the club's doing really well, LAFC, Seattle, Atlanta, you see the attendance, Charlotte. You know, one of the changes that just happened that Don Garp talked about was they changed the revenue share model. And they did that to reward these teams who are putting in all the investment, local marketing, all these things to get butts and seats. And then there are certain owners in certain markets where they're playing in front of half empty stadiums. And there doesn't, Robert seem, Kraft. To be, there, there doesn't seem to be <laughs> energy. <laughs> Revolution. Sorry, keep going, Paul. I mean, yeah, so they, there's not this energy around those clubs. And they want to say to those owners now, hey, you've got to put some energy in it if you want the <laughs> same share of money as Atlanta or Charlotte. So you can see those dynamics happening right now. And I think that is the beginning of this shift, beginning of this time where owners are saying, how do we spend this money? And, and I think, you know, players are going to have their say, as they always do in CBA negotiations. Typically, the league ends up winning those to some degree. But I, I think, you know, so that progress is a bit slower, especially because the CBA got pushed and pushed by COVID. But I think right now what, what really stood out to me was those comments from Garber saying, hey, we had this governance structural meeting where we changed the revenue share. We're talking about the legacy markets that are lagging behind these expansion markets, and we're going to focus our energy there. Because, I mean, 32 is probably the, the place you stop an expansion because it starts to mess with, can you do a single table? How do you structure things? So the next era of growth for MLS, it can't be expansion. It has to be finding a way to make New England, New York. Chicago, Houston, Dallas, Denver, San Francisco, San Jose area matter more. Those markets are important. And, and for me, that's where we got to keep our, our kind of eyes as reporters, as people watching the league. How do you improve those markets? That's going to have the biggest impact on growth for the next era of MLS, I think. It's, it's easy, I'll tell you right now, for New England. It's just a stadium in Boston. 
they get a stadium in downtown Boston or or just about, it's a wrap. It's game over because yeah. we've seen when so Syria comes. What's the holdup though, Charlie? What's the holdup? I mean, isn't Kraft aren't they royalty there since they brought? No, it's it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot more difficult than you think in terms of politics. Look, the city of Boston won the Olympics, and they had to give it back because the people said, "Hail to the no! We don't want the Olympics traffic." Forget that. We don't want that extra traffic. To me, that just sums it up right there. We're talking about the Olympics coming to Boston. Charlie the, lobbied the against the Olympics. Said, nah. <laughs> so I, I think too much traffic in front of his summer homes. There, there are a lot of politics at, at play, and and you have to do it right. And so, um, yes, Boston is a very difficult place to to get a stadium. If New York City can do it, New York City FC, then Boston certainly can do it. And I think. They're working towards it. I actually know they're working towards it, but we've heard that since 2010. So until yeah. I see a shovel in the ground in the city, um, there, there's a lot of work to be done. Charlie, um, to that end, I, I spoke to an executive yesterday kind of talking about these comments from Garber and trying to figure out, you know, an idea for a column around it. And and basically what he said was like, so everyone points to Sporting Kansas City as like a successful rebrand. And, and, and we saw a lot of MLS teams trying to just rebrand. And what you learned was like, it's not changing your names and your colors and your crest. Like that's not what did it for Sporting Kansas City. They did the rebrand at the time they were opening a new stadium, mm -hmm. new ownership, all these things that created excitement and buzz. And his point was the same as yours. For some of these markets, it might be as quote unquote simple as opening a stadium, having something new and shiny that changes the narrative around kind of the same old. Because I live in Chicago the reputation of the fire is what it is. It's very hard to change that. Even with an owner who is spending millions and millions and millions of dollars trying to make it better, you have to do something that makes people feel like it's completely fresh, completely different. Mm -hmm. And like adding Bridgeview. FC. I heard Bridgeview, Illinois is an amazing yeah, place. Not even getting out of Bridgeview, right? Like going into Soldier Field, it still felt old. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, for me, like I think if you were able, able to put a sporting, a, a soccer stadium somewhere in Chicago, or if the Bears leave Soldier Field and you can renovate soldier field to be a soccer specific stadium and look new and feel new or look like the old soldier field and and have a little bit of that you know maybe you bring people in but you know as charlie pointed out the politics in these biggest markets are very very difficult in boston new york chicago it's hard to do that i mean and other ones maybe a little different like could dallas build a stadium in dallas somewhere a little closer more accessible maybe um but that's these are the problems that the league is facing now Shout out to everybody in Frisco, by the way. All right, we're going to take our first break of In Soccer We Trust when we come back. More with Paul, so don't go anywhere. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is the next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. Welcome back, everybody, to In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Charlie Davies and Heath Pierce and our very special guest, Paul Tenorio from The Athletic. 
And you have been regaling us with some tales from Major League Soccer and what's happening now, the rule changes, the expansion, and everything moving forward. You did have an opportunity to sit down with the interim manager for the U.S. Men's National Team, Paul. His name is Anthony Hudson. And it was a great article on The Athletic. Everybody should go read it. And you humanize Anthony Hudson. We don't need you to humanize Anthony Hudson. We're here to criticize him for every <laughs> single thing that he does. So you go in there and he's doing stuff and like doing prison reform and helping dogs and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to like the guy, man. You know, <laughs> now that's the way the internet works. You can't humanize anybody. So, so that was a great article. And I was really thoughtful. And I felt like I got to know Anthony Hudson a little bit more and his intentions. One of his intentions was to go to reach out to Gio Reyna and fly over to Germany and actually have a sit down with them. And that seemed to be a very positive thing. It was nice to see somebody from U.S. soccer kind of address the the Giorena situation from him as a player and not necessarily all the other noise that's surrounding him. But uh, let's let's move into the U.S. men's national team talk. Talk to us about this interview with Anthony Hudson and what you think the future is in store for him and, and for the program overall. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with the Giorena stuff. I, I do credit Anthony Hudson. I mean, here you are like in this interim role that, first of all, is lasting longer than you expected it. Right. Because of Ernie Stewart leaving. You probably he probably thought I'm taking January camp and then I'm gone. And now it could be Nations League in March. Nations League in June if they win these and go to the semis and finals and Gold Cup in the summer as well. Um, and so he he recognized and understood once he he saw that the assignment might last longer, that somebody was going to go have to touch base with Gio Reyna, right? Because if you're calling in your full team for Nations League in March, Gio Reyna is probably going to be on that team as long as he's healthy and producing. And he was also willing to talk about it, which he could have just been like, ah, you know, no comment. I think he recognized that at some point that elephant had to be addressed, both behind the scenes and actually going and sitting down with Gio Reyna and saying, hey, are we good? How are you feeling? Mentally, are things good? Are you are you going to be ready to come back in in March, um, considering everything that's happened? And also with us, with the media, to acknowledge, you know, to not just like put out there, oh, I'm going to be at the Dortmund-Chelsea Champions League game and then like not talk about it again after that, but to say, hey, we had to go have this talk. And I thought what he said was interesting. He said, look, for Gio as a player, as a young kid, he had an issue in the World Cup camp. We addressed it. He had a positive response. And as far as I'm concerned, it was over after that. And he, he even said, you know, essentially, like, I, he's not responsible for stuff that happened after the camp. And, you know, I wanted to check in on him. He's a young kid, a young player. And I wanted to make sure mentally he's OK. There are already huge expectations on him. And then you have all this other stuff. So I thought it was, you know, well done by Anthony Hudson in, in general. Um, but it, I think it also shows the challenge that that exists right now around this men's national team. Like it felt for the first time that there was real momentum around the team coming out of the World Cup. You know, there were positives to pull from mm -hmm. it. Obviously, disappointment in the Netherlands performance, but like good things were happening. And then, you know, this bomb went off. And and I feel like right now it's like question marks, like nothing but question marks around the team. Anthony Hudson's not going to solve pretty much any of those question marks. But this one thing he could do, which is reintegrate Gio Reyna into the group. And, you know, obviously we're not there yet. We're not to the March Nations League games. But if he's able to do that, if he brings Gio in and Gio gets his first caps and the ball starts rolling on moving past it, I think that would be a pretty significant accomplishment for an interim manager. Knowing that he is interim and I'm not sure what the next steps are for him there, what percentage opportunity he has to stick around on some sort of level, did he did he speak at all about any of the other goals that he has while he's in there? You know, you talk about that's that's one thing he can be extremely impactful on, right? To help and support. Were there other things that, you know, sometimes when you think about interim, you think about just somebody who's sort of 
holding the fort down until the next person comes. But clearly he's got some plans to to create some sort of impact uh, while he's there. Did he speak anything else about what his goals are? Yeah, I mean, to Jimmy's point, like before I sat down with Anthony Hudson, I kind of thought about the Colorado tenure and especially the end of the Colorado tenure, the interview he gave that essentially led to him exiting as a manager. Not successful on the field. Not a great quote about a bottom team and bottom players. The, the larger point was probably missed there where he's saying like our owner doesn't invest to the level of other teams, not handled great. And I thought his take on this job was really good. He was like, look, I've learned the hard way that when I am focused on anything outside of like doing a good job right here, right now, and I worry about what my next step is or what my next thing is, that's where I start to mess up. And, you know, I want to focus on basically helping this team keep moving forward. Now, part of that is going to be on the field. But part of it's not Gio Reyna off the field. And the other thing is he is still recruiting dual nationals. And I think that's really important. He wouldn't name them. Got a little wink, wink. I think there is, you know, Balogun might, might have been happening a conversation with his agent. He wouldn't say any names. He also mentioned that he worked with Mikey Veras, the U20 manager, to go after a really highly rated U20 player that is a dual national and to kind of sit down in a meeting there and present what the plan would be for that player with the senior national team and the things that the senior team has coming up after you know presumably after he leaves with the 2024 Copa America so I think he recognizes that even if this is not a permanent job for him and the odds are it's not right the odds are he's he's gonna oh, manage hail to the no. higher sporting <laughs> <laughs> that. that right now <laughs> but he's saying look my my job is to act like it is my job right now and well, and part of that is recruiting for the future part of that is laying out the vision for the players for the future until the guy gets hired, the person gets hired to take over. Well, I, I love the commitment in his role to say, I'm going to make the most of it. If I'm the head coach and I'm running the show, then guess what? I'm going to do as much as I can with as little time as I have or the unknown time that I have, which which is great. If you could get Florian Balligan, because I know Jimmy and Heath have been dying to get him into camp. Come on, I mean, you're in the same boat with us. Yeah, of course. Um and, and I mean, he did con convince Zendejas to, to commit to the U.S. At least that's what the news is, uh, news, um, uh, is reporting. Uh, but I'm curious, from your perspective, who is the right next choice for the manager? If, there's, if there were three candidates who, who come to mind for you, who would those be? And, and have you heard names floated around? I know Jesse Marsh is available, but is he a right fit for this group? Um, you know, many would would argue no with his playing style. So, what what would be the ideal candidates for for the job? I mean, it's so hard to tell for a couple different reasons. One, I don't know what they're going to do with sporting director role. Like, if they hire an American in the sporting director role, I think his list of candidates is going to look completely different versus the, if they go international. The other side of this is budget. You know, the U.S. soccer is not rolling in the money like they were before. They've had a lot of different expenses over the last few years that have kind of whittled that down. So can they compete with what the highest paid coaches are, are, are making? You know, even guys that are below that, Roberto Martinez, for example, like that's out, that's way above what Greg Berhalter was making. So knowing what the, and, but if you're the board of U.S. soccer, you're looking at the 2026 World Cup and saying, hey, we're, we're expecting a lot of money coming in. Like, let's go ahead and put money into this coaching role. The last X factor for me is the biggest name that anyone has, can come up with for the job. And I've heard, could have some legitimacy in, in terms of interest. And that's Pep Guardiola. The Realistically, are you going to get Pep Guardiola for three years to manage the national team? Probably not, right? Like he's he's with Man City right now. 
you know, going for that Champions League. He's gotten, you know, the way he structured his deal, it's a one-year plus a one-year option. But if you can, if you have a chance to land Pep Guardiola in 2025 and you get a year with him ahead of the World Cup, I think that's got to be your priority. And then the question would be, what kind of coach can you hire to be in charge for two years? If you think there's no chance for Pep or like it's a small percentage chance, then who's the best candidate out there? I think the obvious names are going to be the guys who have been successful in MLS or American. I think those are the guys who are going to come up or Jesse Marsh being somebody who's been overseas. I think even though he hasn't had a ton of experience, Steve Trendolo's name will come up. And we know Peter Vermees just just inked a five-year extension. So I think Jim Curtin's name could be added to the mix as well. But it's just tough with the international candidates because, man, like if they can spend five million a year on a coach, all right, or, or 10 million a year on a coach, okay, we can start talking about some of those big names. But if they're working in like a $2 million range, that list gets just cut like by 75%. And, and so a lot of it's going to come down to what the board says, like we can afford, we can pay. Yeah, this is pretty crazy. I mean, I hadn't really thought about bringing Pep in in 25 and what the lead up would be to that, you know, on Anthony Hudson and Dave Sarakin, as we've seen before. I guess there might be an argument that you could bring in a Pep-like assistant, uh, Dominic Torrance, who who coached at NYCFC and obviously was a assistant manager for, for Pep for many years. That would be, I don't know, he's familiar with the American system and the American players, so... I had really thought about that before. Paul, thank you for enlightening us uh, in that way. <laughs> well, now, would, you, just, would you take it if you could, Jimmy? I mean, Rodolfo Burrell was was connected to U.S. soccer at 1.2, and he's Pep's first assistant. Um, uh, but could you imagine telling everybody, sit tight for two years? Uh, and just like, the project is still moving, uh, we're, but we're, we're not there yet. I mean, maybe. I did that already. I mean, I'm curious what you guys think. You all played for the U.S. Like, do you, do you think you need a candidate – like I've talked to people behind the scenes that say, hey, with this group, you need somebody who has experience coaching in Europe. You need somebody with a big personality that all those guys are going to respect and listen to. I have other people who say, like, no, you need an American. Like, what would you guys do? Do you, do you think that there's priority one over the other? All I know is Charlie's brother said, bring in heaps. Uh, <laughs> in the comments, just raise the roof. Bring, hey, if, if you guys, he, and, and I know exactly what he's thinking. He's like, if you're going to mention some of these names, Jim Curtin, you bring in Jay Heaps. This group needs someone who, one, is going to command respect, two, knows exactly how to get the best out of this group of players. That's the only way you're going to get this group to respect you, to listen to you, to, to, to drive this team forward to get into a World Cup semifinal. That's my opinion is that if you can get a Pep Guardiola or Jose Mourinho, someone who knows talent, has won, is a proven, and maybe is, is done with the club side, is ready to try something new and has that passion, plus you're talking about a World Cup on, on home soil in North America, this is a game changer. That's when you make that move, and I think that type of coaching decision – would change the narrative within this group. Paul, we talked about we talked about I just it. don't think it's going to be something that's yeah. going to motivate guys if you're saying, "Hey, um we're not sure who we're going to go with." We so have we're gonna a couple go with Jason of guys. Christ. Oh, so sorry. we're going to yeah, we're going to go with Jason Christ. And everyone's like, "Jesus Christ." You know? So <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh that's pretty good, Charlie. Uh, I, I I will say though, Paul, we we, we all agree uh, we all agreed that, like, if, if there was a chance, and we've been talking about this quite a bit, if there was a chance for a big swing, even at Jose Mourinho, for who he is and all the complexities that come with that, 
and all the difficulties that would come with that, the, 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 the attitude, the tone, but having somebody of that magnitude that could demand respect <laughs> of the players, clean up a lot of, uh, obviously, some of the drama we have right now, demand respect of, of, of the media, de- demand respect that they have to then go and earn it in a way. I think that idea we all agreed upon being something you have, we have to take that chance, right? Yeah. That could go really wrong when you talk about a Jose Mourinho, but we also believe like this is that window to 2026. We got to, we got to swing big with sort of where we all landed. Yeah. At least the conversation should start there, right? Like Yogi love. Who's like not working right now. Jose who's doing well at Roma, but and by the way, he's making like 16 million euros a year net. So like, what's oh. up? I mean, like oh. yeah, that's, that's, that's when U.S. soccer looks at that. <laughs> <laughs> and are those are those all zeros or yeah, exactly. yeah, like, that, like guys? Like that's where that's like the reality of this business right now. It's gonna get. You sit down with Josie, you're buying the espresso, and then when the number gets slid across the table, you're like, check please, probably. Right? I mean, like, yeah. but there yeah. are guys out there that are available that are gonna be interested, and if you want a year or two off from club ball, and you you're taking a big job, like this is a good one to take host of the world cup all these young players they'll be intrigued it's about the money man i mean how much money are you willing to spend i don't i don't feel like i have a clear answer of that yet from trying to poke around maybe when we see who gets hired as sporting director we'll have a better idea um you know when that press conference happens or whatever like that's the that's the place to push but i mean when i saw just the other day i was doing research for this topic and i was looking up what Jose Mourinho was making because he made a lot of sense to me as like one of the names you'll go for. And when I saw that number, I was like, Whoo, that's that's real, 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 real money. Yeah, uh, so, so Paul, we we appreciate you and, and you spending some time with us. And thank you for all the hard work that you're doing behind the scenes and all the great writing you're doing with The Athletic and reporting. We have one question, though. And usually we have a question of like, what's your best jersey swap if we have a, a player on? But for you, I just want to know, how do you feel about getting competition with Heath Pierce about breaking news? And and because Keith is over here breaking news about Giorena on the regular, and all this he, said, hey, he said a big article dropping. I, I got one thing right, and now like <laughs> if I say like good morning, people are like, oh, no, hey, man, this isn't new for me. It might be uh, new for you guys, yeah, but back in the yeah. day, I covered Orlando City. They took him in the expansion draft, and I was getting ready with the story. Heath Pierce isn't coming whatever and he put it out on twitter first before i had the chance to break my news so i've there been competing goes. with years since <laughs> oh, hey this is the way it works i remember when i got traded from fc dallas to chivas i went out i went in there got traded i i tweeted it out and then fc dallas was like uh people in the office were like oh that guy's what a what an asshole like he's i'm like yo <laughs> this is my life you don't get yeah, to, yeah. either you either you have your stuff together and you can put it out when you're ready or I get to share the news that, like, guess what? I've just been moved to another state. And I remember thinking about that being a moment where, like, I was hated for it as if I was supposed to be like, hey, your life is ruined right now. But if you could just sit tight on that uh, for a little bit <laughs> you while were we so uh, put out this. Yeah, man. Of, course I, of course I was. You I wanted to have at least my own uh, say in the narrative, you know? Yeah, get to go back to L.A. but had to play for Chivas USA. <laughs> uh, so his life well, was ruined. They were like, they were like the, the, the downside is that uh, – or the upside is you're going to L.A. The downside is you got to play with a guy named Jimmy Conrad. Oh, <laughs> you know I, mean? I had two uh, games before I was out. The, the upside is you're Chivas. shipping at least six goals a game. I know you all kept those Chivas Name. What's the respect on Zach Thornton say? Paul Tamara, everybody, thank you so much for coming Paul. on. Woo! We're gonna take our second get... break. We'll see you respect. afterwards. Don't go anywhere. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? 
a baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to Win Soccer. We trust if you're watching on the YouTubes, you just got a little promo for March Madness, which you can catch on CBS and Paramount Plus. Also, I should let everybody know, Jimmy, that was the first uh, that was the first ad we've had that I think matches your energy going into the break. Is we went straight into like <laughs> rock and roll March Madness for anybody listening on audio. It was, it was great. great. Jimmy, it was great. Was like but if, they probably didn't get the same ad if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. on your I'm just thinking of the people who are catching strays in that last. <laughs> There's season. a lot of strays. Oh, in yeah. The last first. <laughs> Lots of lots of strays, but I also want to remind everybody not to miss a second of the action for the greatest club competition on earth, the Champions League. You can follow the biggest stars from around the world, like Lionel Messi, Kareem Benzema. I was going to say Neymar, but it looks like he's out for the season. Victor Osiman and Erling Holland as they try to clinch the most prestigious prize in the game stream. Every match from the Champions League and the Europa League on Thursdays, only on Paramount Plus. So you can try one month free with the promo code Advance. All right, boys, what's your big takeaway from the Paul Tenorio interview? They're going to give Messi the house. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what is that? I'm still kind of curious. <laughs> I mean, what, what you give that guy? He's got basically, everything. they said, all right, the only way we're going to compete with Saudi Arabia, who's willing to give uh, Lionel $395 million a season or whatever, is we're going to give him stock and equity. We're going to give him a portion of the land surrounding the stadium. We're probably going to give him massive ticket sales and jersey sales whatever it is but ultimately it's going to be lasting for a lifetime <laughs> he's going to have revenue for a lifetime similar to what david beckham i mean david beckham a, getting him a toll made about 500 500 million <laughs> from from the from the mls deal total like it's uh, it's going to be monumental right oh, and it's did. a game changer for the league and it's you messy. think it's happening you think world. it's happening i i, I think it, it's getting we've heard Messi say, or from from media outlets, that he's going to stay with PSG. He's going to extend his contract. There's been nothing for a while. Yeah. For me, the longer it takes, the better chance MLS has of of getting him in in the summer. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I I think it is going to happen. I think there's a a million and one ways that you could economically make this make sense, right? I mean, one of them is to just give him a ton of money. Uh, like why did why does he need five percent when you could just give him a quarter of a billion dollars and then you could say you know what you can make five percent on that forever if you want why do you need to own part like there's a he's just in a category that he's heading towards that b club the billionaire club in terms of his earnings and what he's capable of that it's got to have you got to better understand like the the motive and i think paul was talking about that is like do you want it to be a legacy thing and you own part of a future club and you get to get into the business side or do you just want to be an owner of a club that in a city you're going to live in and be part of and, and that sort of thing. And then on the flip side, if you're major league soccer, you're like, we need to squeeze all of this juice out of this lemon. If we're going to bring him in, let's create these mechanisms. But guess what? We own your rights. We own like your image, mm -hmm. rights. 
we are going to get everything out of this because what we're seeing now, right, which was what we saw, is that PSG had to call an exclusive, an interview with their own player, uh, right? It's an interview with their own player. They call it an exclusive. That happened that earlier means, today. Yeah. That means they don't they don't control anything with that guy. That if they want to get him on a, on a podcast or a show or whatever, they got to call it an exclusive with their own player. Like, that's a wild thing. If you're Major League Soccer, you're like – no, we're going to need you to be available. Carlos Vela doesn't do much does doesn't do much stuff here in LA. I'm sure he does a lot with the community, but in terms of the club media, he's only in the last year started to become more and more available. You're going to want Messi, not that you need him to be like, you know, the guy handing out like flyers uh outside the stadium, but you need you need him to to to, to help grow the league and the sport specifically if you're going to create special mechanisms um and put him front and center. Well, that that's what always I guess troubled me when DPs became famous after Beckham signed here and that rule became in place. Just that if you're going to get one of these guys to come over, any big foreign name even prior to David Beckham making the move, if you're going to get that opportunity, I guess more, it makes more sense with the DP stuff. If you're going to get signed as a DP and, and a team is committing to you, like we're talking about with Leo Messi, there has to be some energy from the other side that you're going to help grow the league. I mean, like, and we didn't, we didn't always see that. We don't always see that. And I don't think that Leo Messi really likes to do that type of stuff anyway. He, he picks his spots. And I feel like even when you see him on interviews, he's like, I don't want to be here. Like he's sitting in his chair. Like I'll say the bare minimum, not going to give you a lot, but I guess this <laughs> yeah. is part of it. So, so I do think that there is a marketing arm to this where they have to be there and be a champion of, of the league. And, and uh, I'm sure he'll do just enough, but I don't he, know if it's going to be over and taking top. Jimmy's seat on this show. That's for sure. God damn no. right. <laughs> not that. <laughs> Charlie, you're gonna have to keep it. <laughs> that that needs to be a t-shirt. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> all, I, all I know is that that was that was one of the top interviews we've had in a long time. Yeah, um, that was fun. That was that, fun. that was a lot of fun. In terms of what he said with coaches, I think that's also gonna be interesting on on do they open up the checkbook if it's worth getting a Jose Mourinho and would Jose Mourinho consider a $10 million deal or because 16 million is if you're managing every single day at the mm -hmm. club, uh, international level manager does not command the same fee because of the amount of time I think is, is you're not spending nowhere near the same amount of time in and out of, of training and, and traveling for games. So I think it would not be up to that level, but uh, man, that's some significant change. Somebody made so, the, somebody made the joke about like there being a lot more where it's like, look, if the U.S. is going to go in a World Cup <clears throat> that we are co-hosting, the amount of money that could potentially go into the coffers of U.S. soccer mm -hmm. would be worthwhile to say, okay, two million, three million base. Somebody was like thirteen million for Jose Mourinho to reach the semifinals, and it could be per round. Yeah, but like there could I love be a that. significant upside in the end where it's like, hey, it's it's. It's let it's way less now on the upfront, but it could be potentially even more than you're making now to to buy into this project in a different way. I think that's a, a unique way of of, um, of of positioning an offer like that. For you know, again, you never know. Can you even break that, through? That, can you even talk about a talk about a bonus. Yeah. But that that oh that speaks to Jose Mourinho coming and taking it now. And I found the Pep Guardiola stuff interesting because if he takes it over in 2025, he doesn't have time to maybe implement the same type of plan that he would if he had those two extra years and so i wonder what that would look like because i would i don't think i would say i got to process it some more maybe i'll let you guys know on thursday's podcast but 
Pep Guardiola coming into the team a year out, knowing that there's going to be this gray area for the next two years, mm-hmm. something I got to have to wrap my head around. I will I say, think, Charlie, real quick, I, I, yeah. I, I wanted to say on that, um, Jimmy, just in terms of the Jose Mourinho thing, I, I kind of like because he's gone down this route now of not having a unlimited budgets. Like he's working yeah, with right, something right. different, right? True, true. Do you think, Charlie, do you think Pep Guardiola, I mean, he's a manager, right? He'll, he'll figure it out. But like not having time with your players to implement a lot of those things, you have very limited time. Do you think that he's in that mindset now where he's not going to have? You don't get to pick your player. I mean, you get to pick your players for the U.S., but like our pool isn't so deep. Um, it's not like signing or buying players and things like that. Yeah. Well, think of how Pep Guardiola works, right? He controls every single aspect of the of the game. So he says every position, this is what I want from you. And this is what he's not going to have that time. It's not at all. Whereas Jose Mourinho, he, his approach, I think, is going to be more holistic in, in terms of as a group, this is what we're doing. And he might not break it down. So because it's all about details with Pep Guardiola. And I think the, the next manager, you'd want him in for Copa America. I think that's the deadline, whether it be Pep Guardiola, Jose Mourinho, you want them in before that tournament so that they have a clear idea of how this group works against top level talent. And you would be playing in a competitive tournament. So it's almost like a run through. You're saying, okay, we're playing against the Brazils of the world, Argentina's, the Colombia's, the Paraguay's, Peru. Now we can see what we have. And now I can figure out how to tink this tinker with this team to to get them to a semifinal. So I think that deadline should be at the very latest Copa America. All right. No, I like that. That shout a lot. Okay. Let's get into a little weekend roundup. We'll pivot into the players that are currently playing in and around the world, obviously second weekend of MLS action, but uh, I'm just going to give a couple names and there's one name I want to focus on because a local report absolutely obliterated this player. <laughs> I want to get into that. But uh, so we had Eric Palmer Brown go 90 minutes against Trois or four Trois against Monaco 2-2. Uh, Valencia lost 1-0 to Barcelona. They're now second from bottom in La Liga. Yunus Musa did not start, but he came on for the last 15 minutes. Middlesbrough beats Reading 5-0. Another clean sheet for Zach Steffen and Burrow are now third in the championship. Uh, Feyenoord beat Groningen 1-0. Ricardo Pepe got subbed off in that hmm. one. Joe Scali got the start, got 90 minutes. In Mönchengladbach's 0-0 draw with Freiburg. We got Brentford and Fulham playing today. That's a big one in the Premier League as they try to hopefully maybe scrape into one of those Europa League or Europa Conference League positions. So Sasuna versus Celta Vigo, and that's Luca De La Torre. That is also today. But the one I want to focus on is Chelsea's 1-0 win over Leeds. Uh, new manager for Leeds, Javi Garcia. Started Brendan Aronson in the middle of the field. All three Americans got the start. But this is what a report said about Brendan Aronson, and I want to get you guys' thoughts on this. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Here we go. The U.S.'s U.S. International's performances in the league have been anonymous and ineffective, leading us to think that Javi Garcia has already made his first mistake as Leeds manager for giving the so-called, they said the so-called Medford Messi a chance back on the side. Before (laughs) he was hooked in the 68th minute against Chelsea, Aronson had a measly 35 touches of the ball. His pass completion of 77% was the second lowest of Leeds' outfield players. He didn't complete a single key pass. He was dispossessed once, completed just two dribbles, and was also caught offside once. If people are criticizing other players for their performances, they need to look at what's happening behind uh, Javi Garcia because Aaron Aronson's playmaking efforts have been woeful. <laughs> wow. How do they really, how do they really hit, feel? That was a hit piece. You know, that was, was sort of like, that was somebody who, who was realizing their favorite player was being attacked constantly. And they're like, shifted yeah. over to that guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, he hasn't been good. He hasn't been, he hasn't been super yeah. effective, but 
Like, where is where is he to go uh, forward with that team? Like, where are they going to get goals? Where are they attacking? They cannot. I mean, their their demise is going to be partially because of their attack, and he's part of that attack. Um, well, the problem is like his price team, tag. People around him. Yeah, his, that's his price tag to come in to a team like this. You're expected to do X, Y, Z, which was not his game. His game is not getting on the ball and dictating the tempo and chance creation. His his game is more off the ball. His runs, his pressure, that does not coincide with the amount of money that they paid for him. And, and I think that is, is a big detractor in terms of supporters. You're in a relegation race. All the pressure is magnified and intensified. They're watching him, and he's not getting on the ball. He doesn't. He, he's not a player who checks into space, is around surrounded by two or three people, and flourishes. That's not his game. Mm-hmm. He's always been checking in between the lines, making runs behind out of midfield, late runs, stretching the back line, usually going unnoticed because he's small and he knows how to find those pockets. In the Premier League, when you're playing and your team's usually chasing the game, you don't have your team's not dictating the game. So all of a sudden you go from powerhouse in Austria in, in Red Bull Salzburg running the table. You can kind of do what you want because everyone's defending and you have some space to get on it to we're struggling to get on the ball. And I don't even want the ball. I can't even get on the ball. I think and, that's the big difference with Brent Aronson at least. Well, and his data his data was always around like generally his best data was around balls one in high up on the field, right? They're pressing that led to turnovers that led to goals. That's where he was most effective was like being part of that chaos that would force turnovers that would allow the team one, two, three passes. Now they're in and around the box to score goal scoring opportunities. That hasn't worked for Leeds. Well, actually it would work to like the 60th minute and then they'd have one counterattack and get, just get absolutely bagged on. But like, um, I think that is a system type of player and if they're not going to play that effectively, then he becomes less effective. And so for his game, he's going to have to evolve certain parts of his game. But you're taking a player in in, in a very difficult system in a difficult environment now and asking them to him to be, like you said, Charlie, a, a, a type of player that he's not, right? Just because he's 30 million doesn't mean he's going to skin somebody one-on-one on the dribble every time he gets it or mm-hmm. or be a creative playmaker and, and have everything flow through him. I get the sense, too, that he's playing central right now and when we think about all the success it feels like most of it is out wide even if he even if he starts out wide and comes inside he's not if, if you do that who's covering you at that point defensively is somebody from out wide so there'd have to be a lot of communication and i think because of that maybe lack of communication when you go from outside to in that creates that space that you can take advantage of and right now they have jack harrison on one side and somerville on the other side and and clearly he's doing something i mean you have a new manager in there who can see his value. I mean, you see that he's doing something positive in practice. You're not going to put him in there if he's not having a good attitude and still trying to get after it. And I don't think we're questioning any of that. But yeah, to your point, your initial comment, Keith, is where does he go from here? And I, I don't, he's going to have to figure it out. He's going to have to figure out. Well, he's got that energy though. Game. When you're right, fighting right. relegation, you go with those people that you're like, who's up for it? You know, who's up for the mm-hmm. fight? Because it's not going to be easy. Doesn't mean that he's going to, again, be the playmaker that you want him to be. But you're in a, you're in a relegation scrap. The first thing you need is people who who are going to kind of be up for that type of challenge with that type of energy, which he he always is. It's just maybe, you know, he, he's not going to bring the certain things that you want from somebody who costs what he costs um, traditionally because a lot of, again, his data of what made him so valuable was, is based on very specific factors in certain uh, areas of the field during games. 
Okay, so let's pivot now to the Champions League. There's uh, Chelsea is hosting Borussia Dortmund. Dortmund won that first game 1-0 in Germany. Now the second leg is at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Kareem Adeyemi, who scored that first goal or the only goal of that game, is out for this one. So maybe, maybe Gio Reyna comes in. Now, Dortmund have not lost since the beginning of the year. And to add to that, they don't even have a draw. They've won 10 straight games in all competitions. And they're going into a Chelsea team that have really struggled to score. But thankfully... Christian Pulisic is in the squad. He's back at training. So we have two Americans, two Americans that we that we love and adore that have incredible attacking prowess and ability, potentially sitting on the bench for this one. Gio Reyna hasn't gotten off the bench for a while. Christian Pulisic probably won't rush him back into this one, but it could be uh, pretty exciting if either one of them steps on the field. What, what should our expectations be for this, Charlie? I mean, Gio Reyna, I don't know. He doesn't seem like – when the team's winning 10 straight and you're not really involved, I know he scored in three straight games – uh, a part of that, but then just found himself on the bench and there hasn't been any room for him. We've talked about how the other players are just playing really well in front of him, and that's how it goes. So I don't expect him to come on, but with Adeyemi out, maybe there's a possibility. And then with Pulisic, maybe if he's training well, you, you, you get him 10, 15 minutes at the end because if uh, he's healthy and they're obviously struggling to score and he's been a catalyst for that for them in the past. What, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, Adeyemi has been out and he, he still hasn't played. He's gone three straight games as an unused substitute. So uh, Jamie Bino Gittens is, is the player, the young player who's, who's getting playing time over Gio Reyna as that wide winger. And Marcos, Marco Royce, uh, Sebastian Hilaire is up top. And then uh, Brandt, I think has been playing the best of his career right now. So it's one of those things where form is, is ruling you out and giving you that opportunity. But the reason why you weren't in that position to begin with was because you weren't fit enough. You weren't healthy enough. And next thing you know, the guys who are starting over you take their opportunity and run. So you you hope that he gets some sort of cameo. I think in this, the only instance that he comes in is if there's an injury um, or they're down a goal and they need, they need another creative attacking player. and, And then he gets an opportunity. And then you, you hope that he produces that's the only way. I think we all go through this this kind of drought as a player in these these cycles where you are in a rhythm for whatever reason you're not getting the start, you're frustrated, you feel that you're fit, you're telling the coaches you're fit, you're, you know, you you may have a, a conversation with the coach saying, "Hey, I, I'm doing everything you're asking me. Why are you not playing me?" And the coach says, "Hey, I'd make the team. You just got to do your thing and I'll let you know." And then that can work against you because now all you're thinking about is I should be starting and that negative. I, I think when you turn it negative, the story, it takes away from your game. Mm-hmm. And then that in turn, you also have guys who are performing and then you just feel like you're, you're caught in, in a bad way. And that always ends eventually. So you hope it ends sooner than, than later, but it's one of those opportunities where you probably aren't going to see Gio Reyna unless the game gets out of hand or there's an injury um, because just the run of form that Dortmund's in right now. Okay, Heath, I'm going to pivot to MLS with you. Jordan Morris scoring goals, leads the league right now after the first two weeks. He's got Mm -hmm. three. You have Jesus Ferreira, who has scored a brace this past weekend against the Galaxy. He's got two goals. You got Paul Areola, two assists in this game for FC Dallas against the LA Galaxy. Just looking good, looking sharp. Do you call any of these three in for the March games? Just we want to we want to set this. Set no, the, the comments uh, I, on I don't fire. think you do because the league the league is still playing um, during these March games. Yeah, you're just kicking off the league. They're coming off of this l- kind of long, uh, well, at least uh, for two of them, 
you have a World Cup offseason, preseason into this. You have a long season coming up. I think it's a great situation for you to take a look if you're Anthony Hudson at, at like your wider pool of players. Leave the MLS players primarily with their clubs. Mm-hmm. You've, you've, you, none of them are like necessarily breaking out. Um, and by the way, Darren Yappy, you guys got to watch that guy, man. He's he's going to be a baller. Um, but yeah, I, but I called it. City, I called yeah. it. I did not say call him in. He's not ready. But yeah, he he is he is he's, really good. He's um, a special player. Yeah. But but my point being is that like they're all in form, and it's kind of like keep that form. You're part of the plans. If you keep that form up, you'll get called in in the summer, maybe whatever it is. But you, it's not like you need to, you don't need to see Paul Ariola. You don't need to see Jesus Ferrer right now. You don't need to see Jordan Morris. I think the team can get a result without them, and it gives you an opportunity to bring in. A, a different look of players, maybe a few new players. I'm not saying that you skip that if there's a new player within Major League Soccer um, that you want to bring into a camp. But for those players specifically, you know, Jordan Morris is playing really well right now. He and and so keep him at his club, let him play. They've got a huge, crazy calendar of events this year, um, like all clubs do. So um, just keep him there. Same with Jesus Freire. He just got his first, you know, his brace. Let's see him for him on a more run of form over time. Mm-hmm. And then you can look towards the summer with bringing them in. That's what I think just because like you've, got, you've, you've got the back of MLS still playing still early focus on your club. We don't want to pull you out of that rhythm. Keep you in that environment if you're doing well. And and, and we'll, we'll talk later. This is what happens when you have coffee with the U S men's national team. <laughs> yes. I don't, I could, honestly, I could be, I, I was talking to people. I like, that and, take. I like that. take. I was talking to people. I was in Seattle again for this, uh, for this last weekend, two weekends in a row. And I was talking to people in the club. They're like, yeah, you know, we're going to have lose some, some, uh, some players coming up for this window. So who, who do you go with? And I was like, are, are guys getting called in? And they're like, well, we don't know. Um, and I thought they were like <laughs> hinting towards like, I was yeah, like, Oh, yeah. come on, give me that inside information. Um, it was actually, uh, Craig Weibel that I was talking about, uh, Craig Weibel, and I was like, Weibel, yeah, Weibel. <laughs> He's close to Canada. I was saying it in the French French pronunciation. Hey, Weibel, uh, how you doing, Weibel. man? I was talking to Craig Weibel, and 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 I was I was trying to get it out of him, and he he didn't he didn't have an answer for me, but it was more so around um you know uh having to manage the depth of their roster of players if if guys get called in, but he didn't have oh, an answer. All I know is I better see Taylor Booth on that on that. Yes, I list. agree. Taylor, did Booth. he play? Did he play this weekend? Let me look. I know it was midweek he, they held him out for an injury. Um, I didn't see if he if he had played, but um, yeah. Go ahead, Charlie. Keep your thoughts with him. What's what's give us well, your Taylor? I, I just think in terms of what Heath was saying, some new faces who are performing, who maybe performed too late to get a real look for the World Cup. Um, those are guys you want to see, and there, there's he's being tracked by a lot of clubs. He he's shown. I mean, he, he was Player of the Month in the era divisi. So just, I think in terms of creative guys on the dribble playmakers within this group, which we want to see more of mm-hmm. get, get the man a call up. Cause he can play on the wing. He can also play yeah, as I an, agree. an attacking midfielder. Um, that That's just someone who has been in, in form playing well is respected in, in the Dutch league. Mm-hmm. And, I think deserves a, a call up just like Ricardo Pepe. I mean, I can't imagine him not being called up for, for this camp. No, I hope that that happens too. He was not in the 18 for both of their games this week. They played Wednesday, Friday there or Tuesday, Friday. So that was going to be always pretty difficult if he's carrying a little bit of a knock. I was going to give you guys final thoughts and myself one as well, but we've talked a lot in this one. So I'm calling it a show. That is it. So on behalf of producer Des, producer Alex, Charlie, Keith, and myself, Trash Can Conrad, we thank you for listening and supporting the Soccer We Trust. And we will see you on Thursday. Later.